take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to Field Preachers. Uh, This week and next week, we have two special podcasts for you. I'm calling them our exponential editions because before the outbreak of COVID-19, back in February, I was in sunny Orlando for the largest gathering, I do believe it's the largest gathering of church planters nationally at Exponential. And while I was there, I had the chance to sit down and talk to Tom Arthur from the Michigan Conference, pastor at Sycamore Creek, and to Sean Peters at Mosaic in Florida. And so, Uh, This first podcast with Tom will be a little interesting because I reached out to Tom to see if I could interview him as a second site pastor of a church planter. Um, Well, not second site, but he followed after the founding pastor. So talking through what that's like and the the different hurdles he had to overcome. Um, So I reached out to Tom and said, let's talk about this. And Tom said, actually, I was going to reach out and interview you for a podcast because I'll be speaking at an event this month in Michigan. And he wanted to hear more about me so that he could share that with others in the Michigan Annual Conference. So uh, as you listen in today, it will be a unique perspective. Maybe you guys will email me and say, Rachel, we want more of this, where you interview folks, but are also able to share more of your story as well. But I had a great time talking to Tom. We were both alumni and at Duke together. It was a great experience and I learned a lot from him. So listen in on today's podcast with Tom Arthur. All right, so so I graduated in 2008, and I was appointed um, right out of the bat uh, as the second pastor of a church plant, um, which is a, an appointment you don't want to ask for. Exactly. Tell me how you felt it's, when you're like, um, "That's where I'm going." Well, the funny thing this is this is God's sense of humor. When I first had my call, I didn't grow up in United Methodism. I grew up in Assemblies of God, um, and so I when when I'm with um, Mainliners, I feel very Pentecostal, and when I'm with Pentecostals, I feel very mainline. But I still, I, I'm, I'm a very mild like worship demonstrator. But just to give you a sense, like when I was growing up as a high schooler, I thought like I, I had this rule that I wouldn't date a girl who didn't raise her hands in worship. So <laughs> that was that was my standard. Um, Sarah doesn't raise her hands in worship, but uh, but I fell in love with her anyway. I had matured by that point. Yes, uh, and. Uh, um, I was a child. I thought like so. Uh, so, what was? Uh, oh my gosh! I'm yeah. having another brain fart. Oh, Where it's was the I kidney going? Stones. You were talking about how you felt when you got your appointment. You're right. You just dropped like the elephant in the room. I may have kidney stones while we are interviewing the, or while we're doing this interview. So I'm a little distracted. Yes. And, and if uh, if things don't get well after this interview, I might be going to the emergency room. Oh but goodness. I'm actually feeling better. I did take some meds, so my head is uh, less oh, painful. So so yes, excuse me if I'm a little scattered. Um, so oh, I was at a second. I was a second pastor. Um, it's an appointment you don't want. At first, uh, God's sense of humor was when I was first called to be a pastor. I wrote down 16 things I was afraid of. One of them was being appointed to a traditional church, um, and. So part of the reason I took went to Duke uh, was because it was very traditional, and I Amen. was like very high church, and I was like I need to insert some new like software in my spirit um, to be able to survive a United Methodist appointment in a traditional church. And while I was at Duke, I, I fell in love with um, with the historical liturgy, which is not what most churches call traditional worship. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ed Phillips was a spectacular worship professor, um, and he he helped me um, 
understand that in a way that I could deeply appreciate it. And then I also grew to like have an emotional connection to it. So when you're at Duke, there's, you know, when you're in that world, there's a lot to learn about liturgy and gestures and like liturgical theology. And I just dedicated three years to like understanding all that. And then Mm. I got the call and like, you're going to a church plant. And I was my first, (laughs) I remember one of the things I was afraid of was being appointed (laughs) to a traditional church. My first reaction was disappointment that I wasn't going to get to use these three years worth of uh, like learning um, going to this church. But that's not necessarily the case. There's been a lot of translating, though, that has to happen um, from what you learn in seminary or at least what we learned at Duke to planting a church. So um, I got chewed up for two years. Um, it was pretty bad, and um, I lost most of my confidence. I'm a pretty naturally confident person. And uh, um, in year two, I was uh, gonna. I was crying to my district superintendent at our one-on-one, and I said, if things don't turn around in uh, this next year, I'm not sure I've got what this church needs. And in year three, we launched Church in a Diner, and that was the turnaround for us. Um, wow. And, what uh, made it a game changer? Well, so I went to the second pastor's conference or orientation that Jim Griffith and Jim Osier do. Um, and uh, they uh, told me that second pastors are usually appointed into a situation in crisis. And um, that's not always the case, but usually it is. So I'm a little, uh, you know, you have a second pastor that followed you. Uh, no crisis there. No crisis there. No crisis. No. Um, but, but. The crisis was hidden at Sycamore Creek because our pastor was retiring. Mm. And um, so what wasn't working was it, it had just been in decline for many years. Mm. Um, so uh, I it, it had a morale issue. It had a like self-esteem issue. It had a like we used to be awesome and now we're not. We used to be the darling and now we're not. Now we're like struggling. And, um, and so I was appointed there in year um, nine of its life. Um, wow. and, uh, for two years we, we continued to shrink. Um, and I lost about 20% of, uh, the attendance, which Jim, that's not bad. Jim and Jim reframed it for me. Yeah, they said second pastor is usually like 30 to 50%. Yep. And th- that, that made me like, Oh, um, I only lost 20%. Exactly. And, and that's great. then to be able to launch something from a position of weakness, Rather than like a lot of the church planning stuff you hear, like is these stories about we had so many people, we had so many services, we didn't have any more room, we didn't have any more parking, we can't, you know, like so we had to launch a satellite. And that wasn't our story. Um, Things weren't going well, and we launched a satellite, and uh, it turns out that uh, church planting turns denominations around, and it will also turn a church around, um, Mm -hmm. at least a church that has a church planting DNA and culture inside of it. So I think that was, you know, people were like, we can do this again. So um, I'm going to I'm going to go take the steering wheel here on this interview back just a little bit and pitch (laughs) you one. Um, uh, Give us you you, um, as we talked this afternoon and um, you also led a workshop, but I didn't I didn't attend. I just saw the um, title of it here at Exponential. But uh, um, you had a lot of obstacles. Wow. Like to, to a thriving church um a plant but so tell just give us a feel for what it was like when you left and took the appointment path one and then go back and like disabuse us of that being easy or uh like a yellow brick road 
I know. Well, um, so I, I love it because in 10 years, I experienced like almost every paradigm of a church plant that was possible. So I started as a mother-daughter church. The bishop separated us. We became a parachute drop in a theater and then in a warehouse that we leased. And then we merged and adopted an existing church that was facing closure in a few years. So we had, you know, 50 people in their 70s merging with 250 people that were young families. Wow. Um, so I was there and saw the church through that merger for mm-hmm. three full years. And in that time, we experienced a lot of growth, some intergenerational relationship building, discipleship. We added a community garden. We really expanded our outreach. We became part of a transition coalition with the city of Virginia Beach to help with the issue of homelessness in our community, became advocates for our brothers and sisters who were living on the streets. We have a homeless camp situated um, behind the church property that really fostered ongoing relationships and just knowledge about what their experience is like. So, you know, we had good worship attendance. We had all this space and all these rooms for kids, renovations. We spent like 40 grand renovating before we merged three years ago. As I was leaving, they were finishing up half million dollar renovation wow. on the sanctuary. We added a playground, brand new playground in the back. So were those you know, 50 people that were there at the church that you merged with, were they, are they excited? Were they excited about that? Or were they like, grumpy and like stick in the mud. So this is what is so huge is we didn't really have to merge and they did not have to merge. I mean, they could have stayed open for a few more years, you know, and, and closed down. And then we would have, you know, graciously requested that space for a number of reasons, but they were bold enough and open enough to be excited about this. So as we were doing the town hall meetings together about what they were thinking, Um, those members of that traditional Methodist church were weeping, saying, we have been praying for this for years. We're so glad you're coming. And I think something that helped was that we were completely transparent. We said, this is what leadership will look like. This is the color of the paint. The, you know, baby grand will go to make room for the drum set. So they, I mean, they could grieve the fact that church for them was going to be very different in so many ways, and yet they knew exactly what it was going to look like, when it was going to happen, and who would be doing it yeah, all. Yeah. So it, you know, that that fostered greater communication. When we adopted a church, uh, um, we gave them a 10-page list of all of the changes we were going to make. Wow. So they went in. When they voted on the merger, they knew exactly everything that was yeah. going to or it wasn't absolutely everything. We've done stuff since then, but but well, they, and, they went in eyes wide open. And it's so helpful. And for us, like when it came time for that dual church conference vote, you know, between the plant and then the established church, um, we wanted at least 70% of people to be on board. And it ended up being even greater than that from that established what church the, that wanted the merger. The I think it was like 80% of folks there were totally in favor of it. So there were maybe uh, five people that left that established church. Okay. But, you know, we continued to grow and reach more people. Only... 10% of folks from the planting church left, mainly because we were now like 25 minutes from where we used to be located. So for some people, it was just too far of a drive. But we added a digital discipleship and a Facebook Live Sunday night service that actually led to our church having as many virtually worship with us as did on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about would you rather questions for like church planters. Um, and you just challenged me over the break to uh, come up with some of my own. So I'm going to see, I'm going to stretch myself right now because I really suck at coming up with would you rather questions on the fly. <laughs> uh, uh, would uh, would you rather plant a church in an alley or um, 
in a parking garage. Parking garage for sure. Yeah. 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 Just the echoes, more space, right? In an alley, you're kind of limited in terms of the number of people you can reach. Parking okay. garage, you could just go from You don't have any problem level. with parking in a parking garage. Right? I know. Total benefit. And it probably smells better. Fewer dumpsters. I don't know. I, I really like the grittiness of the alley. Like, I mean, I've never even thought about till just now planting a church in an alley. But And church plants do exist in that space in between buildings, right? So, yeah. So maybe there's yeah. a metaphor there, but. All right. Yeah. Parking, room for growth, definitely. Okay. Um, so, okay, now you challenged me. I was like looking up would you rather questions online, Tom Arthur style, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing you a curveball. I'll come up with, yeah. Would you rather, hmm, launch, because you've done church in a diner, right? And church in a pub. Yes. So would you rather. Church, we've done church in a, um, in a park. We've done church in a theater. We've done church in a laundromat. We've done church in a distillery. Wow. Um, so would you rather do church in a nail salon or church <laughs> in a tattoo parlor? Wow. You know, so there's that guy down in, here down in Florida who does the tattoo yeah. church Michael or whatever. Michael Beck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Man, you know, you pick two things that I are totally out of my affinity. <laughs> um, but because uh, I don't have any tattoos. Do you have any tattoos? I do not. You don't. We're, we're kind of weird that way. Like yes. most church planters have lots of tattoos. We're not hip and cool. In no. fact, here at Exponential, like the half of the, like three quarters of the people walking around have like sleeves of tattoos. That, that's where chick planters get a little pass. <laughs> <laughs> if I was totally tatted up, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. At some environments, that would be awesome. But at Exponential, they might not know what to do with me. Well, um, so I don't have any tattoos and uh, I totally am my, like my wife is not like a nail salon person at all. Um, in fact, like I think I can maybe count on one hand the number of times I've seen her nails uh, uh, painted. Is that the right word? Painted yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the 22 Your years. Your guess is as good as mine. Marriage. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Sarah on that one. OK, so I but I feel like it would be a. I, I could maybe stretch to the tattoo parlor better than I could stretch to the nail salon. Okay. But I kind of like, I mean, I, that's an intriguing idea. Monday, Thursday service, nail salon. Think about it. Free pedicures yeah, for all. Yeah, yeah. So we, on Monday, Thursday, we have traditionally taken over laundromats um, mm. and done two hours of free laundry. And we, this is where I said we did church in a laundromat one time because one Easter, nice. uh, I said, well, let's just do our Easter service in the laundromat. Bad idea. Very bad idea. Like it, mm. talk about like there's distractions at church in a diner and church in a pub, but like it's it's yeah, we, we needed to contextualize that idea mm. of a service in a laundromat way more than just bringing in our band and me trying to preach. So, so my worst um, church in a place as a planter was Ash Wednesday because, you know, we were renting out a theater. So where do we go on a Wednesday for it? And a local funeral parlor was like, well, you can use we don't have any services that night. But it meant that everybody who came forward to receive ashes wanted to know where we got them from. And uh, like the whole crematorium uh, bit, like uh, freaked people ooh, out. Just yeah, the yeah, smell. Yeah. But I was like, well, you're here in this place where people remember isn't, their dust. Isn't that part of Adam Hamilton's story that they planted in a funeral See that, parlor? Exactly. So Probably thought that was a cool idea. Worked like, for him, for not Adam not Hamilton, for me. But, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, so uh, so let's get back to um, your obstacles. Like you were described, this oh, beautiful yeah. church that, I mean, just it's it's it's, it's hard. It's so hard to to launch a church. 
so many more fail than um, get to the place of sustainability, let alone thriving. And from everything I can tell from what you've described, that was a thriving and self-sustainable church. Oh, it was. Absolutely Which is really hard to do in a United Methodist setting with all of our challenge, like all of everything else that comes with us. I mean, just us alone has like a ridiculous price tag. Um, but what, tell us, like, was it, what were the obstacles for doing that? And and you're also bucking the trend, not just being a Duke grad, but also a female church planter. Yeah. I mean, we were kind of like unicorns, you know, 10 years ago when I started out. I was here, I'm here at Exponential and had the honor and privilege of leading um, a pre-conference with Candace Lewis and a bunch of other women and then a workshop with Kim Griffith and both Candace and Kim planted, you know, a few years before I did. And so they were an inspiration to me and reminded me that women could do this. Um, Because when I was appointed, I had not asked for this, hadn't been assessed as a planter, um, had a six-month-old son and a husband with a full-time appointment in another church. So it seemed Is, really difficult. You said not only that you didn't ask for it, but you told me earlier you didn't want oh, to I told the, the DS. I was like, listen, a church in Northern Virginia has interviewed me. They want me to be their associate pastor. Could you just place us up there? And the DS said, right, associate jobs. Associate, that's like the that's, gig. Yeah, yeah. Out of Duke, that's what you in want. In the mountains or uh, Yeah, like, well, like D.C. area, lots of culture, foodie area. So, oh, yeah. Um, I was you know, hoping to live the dream. And the DS's <laughs> response was, I'm sorry, I don't think you realize how itineracy works. Uh, you get this or nothing. And I was wow. like, okay, well, I will plant a church. And then they I showed up. They play hardball down here in the Southeast. <laughs> they do. And I showed up to the anchor, you know, mother church to meet their, their planting team that they had for me. And there were 10 young adults in the room. And I'm like, Jesus got like 12 disciples. I have 10 people. <laughs> and then they gave me like this 25 page. Is that like the 80 vision. cents on the dollar yeah, for, uh, for women? Right. Is you only get 80% like, of the, well, the disciples Jesus had? Right. How do I birth a church out of this? Um, and then they gave me like this vision plan of who they wanted me to reach, when I should worship. And their their vision and their desire was that it would be a church for college-age students, which sounds great, except I was a 27-year-old mother, and the closest college, like, with dorms was, like, 40 minutes away in Norfolk. So I'm like, how who did, who on Who did earth? the demographic work on that? Like, I'd, I'd like you to know, see whatever. Well, they're like, well, there's young people in Virginia Beach, but not necessarily young people looking for a church. They're looking um, for other things, perhaps. And, and they weren't living right. I mean, it was the anchor church was courthouse community. It's where the courthouse was, where larger homes were, wealthier folks, not apartment living young adults. So, so I had all that. And then they flew me down to boot camp in August for church planters. And I had my son because I was still nursing and the person leading it who has grown and has a very different view now, but back then was like, listen, women don't always plant, but young moms really don't. So learn, you know, learn what you can, but, but don't, you know, don't take failure seriously. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And <laughs> I don't have like, the resources. The anchor church, you know, love me, but I had my grant money from the conference. And like, that was it. Like they weren't helping with medical or with housing or with any funding for staff or outreach. So, uh, I was not thrilled, but as I got back from all of camp, that strikes me as a good way to like, not like set a, a church plan up to fail. Yeah, you, you don't want to like do if, it. Like if my yeah. conference did that, and I've been the chair of the new church team in our conference in the past. I'm not right now because I kept asking for grants and there was a <laughs> problem there. Conflict of interest. Yeah, conflict of interest. I couldn't lead the the team that was giving myself grants, uh, but I asked for a lot of money for various things because we're constantly doing creative stuff. So I jumped off the team, but 
I would be pissed off at, at my team if we, mm-hmm. if we approve something like that. that. And like I arrived in July and they wanted to launch and we did launch weekly worship, weekly worship, not just preview services, but weekly worship in the gym of the anchor church in February. So, I mean, that's, you know, eight months after I arrived, mm-hmm. it was the, in Michigan. We don't, we like really discourage planting or launching in February period. <laughs> right. Right. And that's like one of the top mistakes church planters make is launching too soon. We'd had like three, we had a preview service in De- November, December, and January. So only three trials and there were maybe 40 or 50 people there. And they're like, well, let's just launch this thing. Um, with the conflict with the vision and, and with what would happen when we started, our launch service in the gym, you know, they would take the offering and, and give it back to the mother church because they're like, well, you know, we're the mother church and you're using our gym. And and some of our members are, are you know, attending that service. So there were, we just needed more communication and clarity. So actually, because of my church plant, the Virginia Conference established a whole new policy with church planters. And it's called a stakeholders team where, um, you know, maybe monthly or quarterly, the planter, the senior pastor, the coach, the DS, and the church developer yeah. all talk because that's just that had not practice. been happening. That's I a, know. That's a church planning does, which you probably know now. But so. now I know. Yeah, and yeah. and once we started those stakeholder meetings, we realized that this relationship wasn't healthy for either side, that there was just anger and frustration, that I wasn't in all the meetings they wanted me to be in because I was out trying to reach. Because I was originally appointed as district young adult minister associate pastor and church planter. And I couldn't do all three things. You know, something that strikes me about your story that is applicable, I think, in a way that is a little broader than sometimes my application of my story, particularly for the people who are listening to this podcast, are people who don't think of themselves as church planners. Mm -hmm. And you didn't want to be a church planner. And most United Methodist pastors don't want to be church planners. Um, How did you... How did you turn that around? I mean, I assume you didn't spend 10 years still not liking your appointment. No, loved it. I'm, I'm now church how painting is on, like how'd the you get only on the, thing how'd I you get, do. How'd you, how'd that mission invade your heart? Um, so there are a couple of things. The first and most important step was after I got back from boot camp, I'm really discouraged. I think it was like two weeks later, I was sitting in the church office of that anchor church and I was like, okay, Jesus, let's be honest with each other. There's n- this makes no sense. I shouldn't be here. I know the Methodist church wants me to plant something, but unless it's something you want me to do, I know it's not going to work. And I just don't want to pour my heart and energy into something that we both know is going to fail. So if this is really needed, if there are people in Virginia Beach who literally are longing for a new faith community, then you've got to show me where they are. And I kid you not, Tom, before I was done praying, there was literally a knock on my office door. And, um, And it was someone who was just driving by, not connected with the church, and they were in tears, and they're like, I need someone to talk to. I need prayer. I need to connect to a faith community. And I was like, shut up. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then before we were done praying. That sounds like a Pentecostal story. Right? I'm like, I'm Methodist. Lord, you know I'm Methodist. Before I was done praying with her. Like the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? I get an email. And a family's like, listen, we've been going to this mother church for a while. We don't feel like we fit. This is who we are. We know we're not college age. We, you know, we're pregnant with our first child, but could we come and support what you're doing? And I was like, yes, you belong. You know, talk to me. Let's vision together. Before I was done emailing them, I got a text message. Um, <laughs> all of this happened like in 30 minutes, right? Uh, and it was from like an 18-year-old, like male, young adult, who had just lost his brother uh, in a tragic accident. And he said, you did that funeral service. You were there. And 
you know, I'm really depressed. I don't know who to talk to. I'm not connected to a church. My friends and I would really love to meet up with you at Starbucks to help process what we're feeling. And I'm like, what 18-year-old boy is reaching out to a pastor to meet at Starbucks and talk through grief? So I was like, okay, fine, Jesus. Like, you win. I guess this is about you. Um, you had a come to Jesus <laughs> meeting and Jesus really showed up. Jesus like, won. The yeah. Trinity showed up. Like, you had Jesus in three people. I know. This that. was like Abraham with the three people who show up at the right, tent. Right, that Old Testament Trinity. Wow. Uh, so at, after that, when I had doubts, I just had to go back to that experience of a calling. And then, you know, after that moment, I was able to look back on my life and say, yes, I haven't lived here long, but my dad was in the Navy 28 years and this is a Navy town. And I did go to elementary, middle and high school here. I haven't been in Virginia Beach in 10 years, but I am connected. If I were to have a home, this would be it. Um, and I looked back on my Peace Corps experience and felt like that was my first time being a church planter. Not like I was planting churches for the U.S. government. That's not what we do. But you're dropped in this town and you have to learn the the culture and the language and learn how to create drop. something sustainable. And you only have two years and limited resources. And so I feel like church planting prepared me more than anything else for what it was like to start a new faith community. So from that moment on, I just got, you know, my coaching calls were different. I wasn't in despair. I was like, God is in this. Like, what do we have to do? Maybe the vision isn't to start a church for college students. Uh, and as I worked and gathered folks and prayed and met people, we decided it was a safe place for spiritual nomads who just didn't belong anywhere else. And that evolved into a statement of the gathering exists to help people reconnect to God, to others, to themselves, and to creation. And that just really guided and shaped my ministry there. It was amazing. It was life-giving. And, and I had a few other hurdles, you know, after we launched weekly worship in February, with so many families coming, the Anchor Church was like, listen, this really isn't what we brought you here to do. These are young families. These aren't college kids. Kind of started to feel competitive a little bit. And so they said, maybe it would be best if you left and found a place to worship offsite. And we were like, okay, sure. So in... Uh, it's September. like the mama kicking the <laughs> babies out of the nest. Yeah, better than mama aborting the baby, right? So, yeah, yeah. so okay, you that, went that's there. what would have happened there. if we had stayed. <laughs> I do believe just it wasn't a healthy place for either of us. So we okay. parted in peace, like Paul and Barnabas, wished each other the best, yeah. and we moved. So I consider the real birth of the gathering to be when we set off on our own, right? Like okay. that's when you really grow up, when mom and How dad many kick you out of the that house. that in there again? <laughs> that was, uh, gosh, September. So it was 14 months after I arrived in town. <laughs> I had 14 months to grow up really quickly. And then we launched months. in the theater, right? With 60 people. I think we had like 120 launch Sunday, but then you can expect that to drop, you yeah. know, to half. So, and then I found out the day before we launched that I was pregnant. <laughs> so okay, I'm like, okay. okay, all right. And new life is good. It's something to celebrate. I was excited. And yet, um, the reality that I'd be taking maternity leave in the first year of my plant was um, something to consider as well. So your story reminds me a little bit about the like the church planter who planted Sycamore Creek. Her name is Barb Flory. Barb planted at fifty nine. Um, wow. She says that she's the only grandma who's planted a church, hmm. and I don't really know any other grandmas that have planted churches. Um, but she bucked a lot of trends um, to plant yeah. a successful church, and I guess the story goes like you know. You can, you know, forget the consultant who tells you that, you know, whatever demographic <laughs> you fit into, it's not possible. Um, it really is. And I think I was able to. You didn't even want to do it. I didn't want to do it until I did. And then I until realized that 
that being a mother in ministry and a young mom in ministry was not a liability, which is what I was hearing, but it was actually the gift and the key to starting this church. So I started reaching out, you know, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Go isn't an imperative. It, another translation is as you are going, make disciples. So as I went to play groups, as I went to the park, as I went to the aquarium, I right. was meeting all of these young families yeah. and I started leading a mom's Bible study, which became my launch team yeah. was young moms looking for a place to raise their kids. That's what's kind of unique. I mean, so many relationships of my own go on the tracks of my children or along those roads. Yes. And that's what really strikes me about Barb Flory planting Sycamore Creek as a grandma and not having I children to, to sort of grease the wheels of relationships in the community. So she bucked the trend like way more than I did because when you're a young mom and you're starting yeah, a young yeah. family church, that's that's a piece of cake. So and I um, she's still in our church. She took a couple wow. years off. Um, and um, here's something really cool. I don't know whether you did this, how you transitioned to your second pastor. But um, because I was a year off um, at Duke, I was free that year, and I came up twice for two weeks and just shadowed Barb around the church and went to all of her meetings and sat in her office and chatted. The second time I came up, she had moved out of her office, hmm. and I moved in. And so while she was still the pastor, she let go of the lead pastor's office, and I moved in. Um, and then she would come into my office to meet with me. And all the staff saw that transition as she, um, I thought there was, it was such a humility on her part mm. that I don't see that in really any pastoral appointment <laughs> transitions. No. And uh, it should be, because I bet that was key to like the health of that transition. It was, it was. The, tran the, the, the problem with us losing people in those first two years was not about the transition. It was a super healthy, good transition. So. Mm. Um, so for me, I did not, I, I did not leave my church that well. I wish I could have. I found out I actually, it was a year ago at exponential that I found out I would be going to path one. So I knew in February, but you know how Methodism goes, you have to talk to your DS and figure out when you announce it to your church. So they found out in March and then the, they found out the pastor that was coming in April because of Easter and they didn't want that to be part of the celebrations. So, you know, they knew in April and I left in June. That was super short. Wow. So we tried to do, you know, potlucks together and I let her meet the staff. Mm -hmm. I let her shadow me. She was, she is an amazing pastor, but I wish, I feel like I did a disservice to her and to the church with that quick and abrupt mm -hmm. process of, mm -hmm. you know, our founding mm -hmm. pastor of 10 years is leaving. I think it helped that I wasn't leaving to go plant another church or go to a big, you know, mega church somewhere, but to go try to share the story of the gathering around our connections yeah, so yeah. that hopefully other pastors can story, be inspired. Not just as unique uh, one. Yeah. You know, the difference for me was I was, I was totally free. So they actually flew me up in February and introduced wow, me to the church that's and, incredible. and Barb introduced me as the next pastor, um, in February. So just to so, steal this interview back then, cause you okay. kind of went there and I love it. And I want to enjoy these last few minutes. Um, of hearing more about that transition. What would be your advice or words of wisdom to pastors who know that they're going to be following after that planting pastor or founding pastor? Well, I don't know whether they still do it or not, but Jim Griffith and Jim Osier do a second pastor orientation. Um, I think they do it every year here in Florida um, because Florida's planting a lot of churches, so there's a lot of turnover. And that would be really helpful to attend that. I attended it in year three, and I should have attended it in year one. 
Um, I think one of the, so some of the things I learned there that were really helpful to me reframing my experience is one, expect a crisis, Mm -hmm. be surprised, you know, be pleasantly surprised if there's not one, Mm. um, but it may be hidden. Um, uh, Jim Osier told me that the greatest gift or talent a second pastor needed was thick skin. So... Mm. Um, I did have a lot of thick skin, but it was almost gone. So just plan on that. Um, I think it's, I think one of the things that Jim Osher also said is don't worry about people leaving, worry about whether people are coming. And that was helpful because there were, there was a regular new faces um, that were showing up. I love but, that. but when you're, when you're showing up in a new appointment, I know this doesn't have to do even with church planting. I think you don't really know yet who's really important and who's, I don't know. That's a, that's sort of a poor choice of words because everybody on some level is important in the kingdom. But, but in your mind, like each person who's leaving, they're essential to the future functioning of your church mm-hmm. and they may just be on the fringes, but you don't know that yet. Cause you haven't been there. Yeah. Um, you don't know who's fully committed and who embraces that vision. Yeah, DNA. Yeah. So one of the things that I did, I don't know that I'd recommend this, um, but it is kind of unique. It's a, been a unique part of my ministry at Sycamore Creek is um, I showed up in July and we ran a capital campaign in November. Oh my. Because we were setting up and tearing down in a school and we did that for 13 years um, mm-hmm. and I was there for three or four of it. Now I've kind of blocked it out of my mind, four of it, I think. And uh, four was enough, um, 13, like the people who did it for 13. And so they kept asking me, when are we going to get a building? When are we going to get a building? So um, I did, like I ran a capital campaign on sort of the two least sexy things for capital campaigns. They were they were required to buy a parsonage for me. So we had mm. to pay, we wanted to pay off the debt on the mortgage. We paid the mortgage off in three years. Um, That's and great. And then we saved for a building that we didn't know what it we, we had there was I didn't have architectural drawings I didn't have like here's the building or here's the property or whatever uh, but we started saving we also tied 10 percent of that to local foreign missions and since then um, I th- I've kind of lost track I think I've run three or maybe four capital campaigns um, I didn't come out of seminary wanting to run capital campaigns but no one does we, they church, don't train us how to do that church planting um, requires money um, and at least the way that United Methodists do it. And um, most churches need to work on their buildings. like they're... So we adopted a church in a small rural town outside of Lansing, and they have a beautiful, like, you know, 150-year-old, awesome, white, like, oh, steeple amazing. church. It's beautiful on the outside. They've done a real good job of keeping it up, but um, it just, we, we didn't, it, it didn't connect with the culture anymore. Um, and the, we used McDonald's as an example. Um, I don't know whether where you're at McDonald's have done this, but in Michigan, McDonald's have been tearing down and rebuilding. Yeah. And when they tear down, they come out of like the 1950s building and they show back up and they look kind of like Starbucks with McDonald's colors. Um, and there was a McDonald's like that in the, in Potterville. And we just said, Hey, we need to do this. Um, the way, same way McDonald's did, we need to update the building. Um, that particular one was really unique because they uh, um, they tore down the front end of the McDonald's and kept the kitchen. So they just rebuilt the, wow. the lobby and the seating area outside around the kitchen. Um, 
and that worked really well. Um, and and we uh, we remodeled it, and they didn't like it at first, and but they grew to love it, and it's and people now come in and they're like, this is awesome. So I I, I got that right off the bat um, from uh, the very beginning, launching a capital campaign. Wow. Yeah, not something I necessarily recommend for every context, but I guess it's this question is don't be afraid to do like. My ministry at Sycamore Creek has been a lot about don't be afraid to do something. Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to book what pastors supposed to do or not supposed to do. Like this year, I have a team of eight people. We could do a whole other podcast on this, a teaching team um, that I'm mentoring. And I'm only preaching 29 times this year, and only 15 of those are by myself. So um, I love that. I'm, I'm here at Exponential because one of my um, preaching pastor mentees it was preaching this weekend um, at both Church in a Pub and our Church in a Church. And, I love and that. And hearing you talk kind of reminds me of like Joshua, as you're saying, like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, like be strong and be courageous. Sometimes it might feel as a second sight pastor that you're coming after Moses, but uh, you're still on this journey to the promised land. And I love to hear the story of revitalization yeah. that's gone on at Sycamore Creek because God knew what he was up to. We just tell, you know, there. people, I think pastors have this sense like they're paying me to preach. And I said, nope, uh, they're paying me to equip people to be the church. So, Love it. We're getting serenaded right now. I know. The We've music got, is like, starting. I think they're, they're letting us know that uh, it's time for this podcast to come to okay, a close. Okay. But hopefully the first of many in the future. Um, I love hearing more and learning more about you just reconnecting here at Expo. We are very excited to have you uh, come to the Reach Summit. And um, you're going to talk a bit about leading with vision. So, because yes. um, I'm sure like we didn't even get into that because I didn't want to like tip your hand, but how you led with vision through that. I'm um, going to save it all up. Cannot yeah. wait. All right. All right. To it. We'll see you in October. Thank you so much, Tom. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.